Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the B-Side Podcast. For this first month of 2023, we're devoting our weekly episodes to the topics of our Mercy and Justice Month, and specifically our focus on fatherlessness and foster care. Each week, we'll have a special guest join us to discuss our weekly sermon focus, and we'll devote the final minutes of our episode each week to answering any questions from our community. So enjoy our conversation with our guests and sending questions as you have them. We'll now move to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Liberty B-Side podcast. My name is Steve King. Alongside me, as always, is Matt Luloyan. And Matt, alongside us, we're so excited today to have Kurt Weaver joining us today. Kurt, welcome to the Liberty B-Side podcast. Yeah, thanks, man. It's great to be here. Uh, Kurt, uh, for those of you who have not uh, do not know Kurt, he serves as part of the team at the Pennsylvania Family Institute uh, and specifically heads up the Church Ambassador Network That's right. yeah. over there. That's what they tell me. That's what they tell, they tell you. you. That's what, <laughs> That's what you're doing every day. That's what <laughs> you should be there right now. <laughs> right, but I'm here. Okay. All Hanging right. out with at you guys. Church. At a church. At a church. You know what? This is, this is the definition <laughs> this, of your job right here. I am doing my job right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, Michael Gear, our president, if you hear this, you know, maybe, you know, consider a raise or something. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm joking. He's doing great. He's doing great, Michael. We will pull out. Showed for up him. for work today. Uh, Kurt, you and I met randomly, actually here in Camp Hill at Evergreen, uh, many many years ago now. Like we ran into. I, I think I was with a few other pastors. You were. We were sitting yeah. like a table yeah. behind you, yeah. and ended up um, just striking up a conversation. From there, found out what you did and who you were. Yeah. Um, and and since then, um, you and Church Ambassador Network have been really helpful to me and to Liberty Church. Um, I remember back to after George Floyd was killed, mm. you guys put together a group of churches getting together to pray for racial yeah. reconciliation yes, in our region on the right. Capitol steps. We did. Uh, Steve and I both were there for yeah. that. A couple mm-hmm. of the folks from our church got to come to that. Um, and then, of course, um, as as COVID was hitting and churches were wrestling through all of the like the the, the bogging down uh, details and conversations of, like how are we going to navigate this? Right. How are we going to try to get people to gather for worship and, and navigate precautions and all that? Uh, you guys put out regular briefings on that, helped us navigate our way through that. So thank you. That was incredibly helpful to us. And yeah. for the folks listening from Liberty, uh, if you've not heard of Church Ambassador Network, they were really helpful to us in all the the um, navigating of that. Well, you know, we we always want to serve, you know, yeah. and so our, our goal is to serve churches all around uh, this commonwealth. And uh, that was a great opportunity. For whatever reason, God put us right there on the front lines yeah. during COVID yeah. and uh, gave us an ear with um, our executive branch, uh, the Secretary of Health. And so uh, we were able then to help all the churches kind of figure out all these, you know, orders that were coming down, yeah. uh, how to read them, how to think about them, and uh, what were some of the uh, um, uh, the options that churches had around yeah. the state. So, yeah. That's great. Uh, just to begin, maybe tell us just a little more about the Church Ambassador Network and, and the work that you guys do uh, across the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, I would love to. So um, one of the things a number of years ago, just thinking through how churches can play a gospel-centered role in regards to government, um, I think all of us, probably those listening to this podcast, anytime you hear the word politician or government uh, come up in a conversation, it sounds kind of dirty, right? You know, and no one wants to touch, you know, any sort of politics with a 10-foot pole. Steve will beat this out. <laughs> yeah, he, he beeps that word. In the, that's yeah, right. It's, yeah. There's an unbeat version available. That's right. That's right. Unedited. <laughs> but, but you know, like, I, 
the thing is, when we see what happens when um, churches step out of an entire area of life, hmm. right? We can't hmm. ignore government. Yeah. The Bible talks a lot about government. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, if you think about church history and you think about, um, you know, some of the, um, the biblical accounts, you know, God's people were all always speaking into government. Mm -hmm. And at times God would give people, uh, God's people a, uh, a prominent place within mm -hmm. government. Yeah. And so, um, so I started to take pastors to meet with legislators mm -hmm. to just go in and meet with them and pray with them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, read scripture together, no, no matter if there was an R behind their name, a D behind their name, mm. or an independent behind their name, yeah. uh, we know that we're called as God's people to engage this world mm. and to engage it in a, a helpful, Christ-centered uh, way. It's not that we don't go in and talk about, at times, you know, policies and things like that that mm. we all care about, but ultimately... These politicians, you know, these leaders that God put in place, actually, mm -hmm. right? Um, in fact, I tell legislators all the time, I said, you know, you might have thought that you got yourself here. Mm -hmm. You might have thought that you ran a great campaign to mm -hmm. get this, you know, Senate seat or this House yeah. seat. Um, but let's look at, you know, Romans 13 that yeah. actually tells us that mm -hmm. God <laughs> gave you this position, yeah. mm -hmm. right? You're yeah. actually a minister of God. So helping them understand um, their role in government, um, in God's economy, um, and uh, look for ways to minister and share Christ uh, in in those offices. That's great. That as you're saying that too, that reminds me of even what Jesus said to Pilate when he was on trial. Right, you would have no authority except yeah. if it were given from, right. from God above. And that, which I'm I'm sure um, some folks probably receive that and have you know. I guess I would say that most of the connotations of politicians is not like one of a lot of humility that they could hear that message and go, yes, that is true. I only have it from, from God alone. Yeah, but they, they would so, just give you some lip service or sure, maybe even scoff. I'm sure that's not a yeah. welcome message from, from everyone, but that's well, a great message to, to I help often see. find some legislators go, huh, it's like an aha moment. Like, huh. oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. But, I mean, when, when you start thinking about the sovereignty of God, if you understand the sovereignty of God, then you start to realize, oh, yeah, you know, the things that happen in our lives aren't just happenstance, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, God has a purpose in it all. But I was meeting with a legislator and going through Romans 13, and he stopped me at one point and said, I, I can't. He's, he's like, help me understand this. Huh. Yeah, because I look at some political figures and I think there's no way that God would want them in that position. Huh. And and you know, thinking yeah. it, listen, the sovereignty of God is a is a hard theological yeah. piece yeah, sure, to sure. wrestle with. For sure. So, but That's um, good. yeah. That's good. Well, we are uh, as Steve mentioned spending this whole month, uh, really this whole year talking about fatherlessness and foster care. Mm. Uh, last week, Kurt, here at Liberty, we talked about mercy for the fatherless and focusing on ways that we as Christians, as God's people in this world, uh, are specifically called to create margin for mercy, uh, to not to not max out the, the productivity and efficiency of our lives doing our own thing or even for our own immediate families or our own immediate friends, but to really for the purpose of, of showing mercy. Uh, but in addition to mercy, there's also a ton in Scripture about justice for vulnerable people. And specifically, so yesterday we talked about justice for the fatherless, uh, helping shape, uh, helping restore or maintain a more just society, uh, culture and laws that help promote the well-being and mm -hmm. protection of, of vulnerable people. That's good. Mm -hmm. 
yesterday uh, was Sanctity of Life Sunday. Right. Not only Sanctity of Life Sunday, it was the 50-year anniversary yes. yeah. uh, of the decision of Roe v. Wade, January right. 22nd, 1973. Uh, that, of course, and, and we had seen this as we were planning out this this mercy initiative for the year, has a lot to do with fatherlessness and foster care. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And so just as, as you're bringing in your expertise and the conversations you get to have with other churches, with legislators from our state, um, what are some of the efforts a local church can make in the broader public square? We, I even opened yesterday's sermon talking uh, using a Bonhoeffer quote about not retreating to what he called private virtuousness. Mm, and that we're, we're called to be, uh, to be present in the public square. And, and yeah. government is a huge part of that, like you yeah. were mentioning there too. Um, what are some efforts a local yeah. church can make to be present in those places to defend and protect the lives and the rights of the fatherless? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that I just theologically, um, we are called to be lights in this world, right? Mm. Um, and it's, and, and, you know, people say, well, I just want to focus on the gospel. Well, the gospel is so broad and so deep, hmm. right? And that light shines through not just who Christ is or what he's done for us, hmm. but how he's changed us hmm. and our values have changed as well. Mm-hmm. We become people of righteousness. Hmm. And so we need to be speaking for righteousness in this world because we are that light that shines in this dark world. Hmm. We can't expect our fallen world to be chasing after righteousness. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. There's people in our world that are uh, that don't have Christ that still care yeah. at some version, you yeah. know, about righteousness because, you know, we believe in the Imago Dei, right? Creating God's image. And so yeah. even though they've suppressed some of the truths, they haven't suppressed maybe all the truths, yeah. you know? Yeah. But I think we as Christians, with that light, we have to be looking for ways to make a, a difference, hmm. you know, in this world. And um, I think one of the ways is just, you know, thinking through the unborn, making mm. our voices heard for the unborn. It mm. is a, listen, it is an evilness that has mm. plagued our country for mm. so many years, yeah. 50 years, like yeah. you just said. Now, praise God that, that um, Roe was overturned yeah. this past summer, praising God for that. But listen, yeah. abortion still exists. Right. Mm-hmm. Children are still <laughs> being killed yeah. at a massive rate. Yeah. You know, um, the last 50 years, over 65 million kids have been killed. (laughs) Here in PA, 30,000 unborn children, their lives are snuffed out every year. Yeah. So, so what can we as a church or churches do about that, right? Mm -hmm. We can stand on the sidelines and say, well, it is what it is. It's our fallen world. But someone needs to be standing up for the voice, the voiceless, right? Mm Um, these children that I think have the right, as you mentioned about laws and justice, yeah. uh, have the right to to live mm-hmm. uh, in this world. Um, the other thing too, I think you know, changing the hearts and minds of the public is a, is a long it's it's a long play, right? It's not a short. We can't just like come up with the best slogan tomorrow and all of a sudden our world turns. Yeah. It's it's con- you know we've been at this for so many years. You know yeah. why do we not give up? We give up because this matters so much. Hmm. Uh, you think of slavery in our country. It took a long time yeah. to turn our country, to, to, to make slavery unthinkable. Yeah. Um, we want to come to a place where abortion is unthinkable. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, but that it, we need to change the hearts and minds, you know. And so, yeah. yeah, I just came back from the National March for Life this past week. Uh, this past year, we had the Pennsylvania March for Life yeah. in Harrisburg. And, um, you know... 
I think sometimes we as Christians can um, want to hide our light. Like you mentioned mm-hmm. that yeah. Bonhoeffer quote. Um, Tony Dungy yeah. showed up at the National yeah. March for Life. Yeah. And he spoke. And he's getting tons of ridicule yeah. from, from doing that, yeah. you know. Um, but he said that um, him standing up for life is more important this, than his NFL career or yeah. commentary, yeah. Or broadcasting, or, or broadcast, all this stuff. Yeah, you know. Um, For anyone who doesn't know who Tony Dungy oh, is, thank you, Steve. Right? Sports Steve, sports, sports Steve. <laughs> Help us, sports Steve. Translate. Tony Dungy, former NFL coach, yep. um, well-renowned mm-hmm. broadcast uh, Christian man, believer, mm-hmm. uh, advocate in a number of different ministries. That's what maybe all the yeah. people need to know at this point. So just quick. Yes, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah. And and he even said this. He he knows that standing up for life can be a career killer. Yeah. Mm. You know, in, in our world. Sure. We live in a world that uh, strongly believes in cancel culture. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if you stand for the wrong things, you can be canceled pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, him is, I mean, Tony's a great example for all of us. Yeah. And yeah, we have to be willing to... You know, to take some hits in this world to stand up for the things that God cares about, mm-hmm. and God certainly cares about life. Yeah. And I think God's been caring about life. This was helpful for me, and I think it's helpful whenever I speak to others about this or speak together with other people. Uh, this is something that we see all throughout Scripture, mm-hmm. and so I think in our in our minds we can come right to our current moment and kind of have this um, uh, this uh, what's uh, what's what is it Lewis call it or Chesterton? You look chronological snobbery. Who, yeah, who's that? that was Lewis. That was C.S. Lewis, Lewis said that right. Yeah. We can look back and go, oh, surely we're huh. the only ones to ever deal with this or solve this problem. We kind of get yeah. a little a little snobberish about looking back in history, and we see in Scripture that God talks about the orphan. Yeah, yeah. Um, we talked about this this month multiple times here at Liberty, yeah. talking about the orphan and the widow and the poor and the alien, mm-hmm. the foreigner, and so. Yeah, we've been wrestling with this in this country for the last 50 years. What happened 50 years ago was a terrible turn in the wrong direction mm-hmm. with Roe versus Wade. And yet, fatherlessness, orphans have been something yeah. that have been burdening God's heart and therefore the heart of the church yeah. since sin entered the world. Yeah. Because I do think Satan has been trying to undermine family. That's God's design for creation, undermining family, undermining creation however he can. So I think it's helpful for us as yeah. Christians to even look back and recognize that. It yeah. roots us in a greater truth that the yeah. work we're doing yeah. now is not just to come up with the slogan, as you say, Kurt, but actually align ourselves with what God has been working for good. since the beginning of time. I think it, we've yeah. sorry, go ahead, Kurt. No, I was just gonna say to that point, I think you know, you know, Satan is the father of lies, right? And you yeah. see a lot of lies right now in our society when it comes to life. Satan's also the father of death and the father of darkness. Yeah. And you think about Christ, Christ. You know, God God is the the, the God of light, the Mm. the God of life, Mm. the God of righteousness, you know, all that is good and is right is from his hand, you know, and, um, but there's a lot of people buying into the lives, the lies that, that Satan has been promoting when it comes to life. Yeah. You know, the unborn is not a real life. It's just a clump of cells, you know, or, you know, um, they don't have the same right that the mother has, you know? Sure. So, Yeah. No, that's that's really good. We 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 said yesterday the way we tried to frame that was to say this is primarily a theological question before it ever becomes a political question. It, it does become a political question. We have like every theological yeah. truth, there are political ramifications and implica- implications of it. Mm-hmm. But um, 
but That's really a, to, to root ourselves yeah. in, that, in that theological truth of it first, yep. move out from there. But isn't the truth, that is the truth of everything. Yeah, yeah. Everything is first and primarily a theological That's right. issue. That's right. Before, listen, our, you know, we live in a country of laws, and yep. so we're going to find ourselves having to deal with moral issues, yeah. theological issues yeah. that have, you know, fallen into our, under the political umbrella. But first and foremost, yeah. it is biblical. And that, you know, that's why I tell people all the time when I hear pastors or other Christians who say, well, you know, I don't want to get into a political argument. Sure. And, and yeah, like, wait a minute. That's, that's not. First and foremost, a political mm, argument. Right. It's been politicized because well, right. we have laws, right? But first and foremost, it, this, it really is a theological piece. It's that theological piece. Kurt, one of the things that, that seems to be present in um, a, at least broader, broader society right now is an argument that says, that's kind of divided, you know, um, different, different political parties and groups to say, if you're more politically left-leaning, you're, you're pro-women, uh, you're pro vulnerable women. If you're more politically right leaning, you're more pro vulnerable children. And and where where that starts to strike me, at, and I'd be curious to hear your experience in this as a as a straw man really argument is, um, I'm sure that exists out there. I'm sure there are some people that just want the legislation to say protect unborn life. End of story. But the actual people that that I interact with, that we interact with, that care about protecting unborn life, are also very much in favor and laboring hard to protect vulnerable women to come Absolutely. alongside them. Uh, even I would say as a, as a church family, that's present in our church that we have for our whole 11 year, almost history of a church. We've had partnerships with Capital A Pregnancy Center, um, different individuals that have adopted or are pursuing adoption or foster care or working with safe families. But what, um, what are some efforts on that front as well? As much as we, we do care about the legislation, we want to make abortion not only illegal, but unthinkable. Mm-hmm. I love that, that as well. Um, what are some of those other ways we can also come alongside vulnerable yeah. women, couples facing unplanned pregnancy, things like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, we, we can't allow people to call pro-lifers, you know, just uh, pro-preborn. Like, like sure. we don't care about all of life. Right. That we don't care about women and, ch- you know, we, we don't care about children once they're born. You know, right. and you, you hear that, you know, quite a bit, yeah. uh, an attack. Although I would say this, listen... It, if you're pro-abortion, I mean, that seems like if you care about life, you know, being pro-life is pretty baseline. Like sure. not having abortion in sure. our world, like, yeah. like that's that's the that's the baseline for caring about and valuing humanity. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think one of the issues that the reason why we have such brokenness in us in this world is because of abortion. Because of the mm-hmm. devaluing of life, mm-hmm. so if anything, I think us as pro-lifers, we should we should be the most um, uh, vigilant people to care about human dignity, mm-hmm. uh, to care for people, even in our own lives. You know, I think if we're going to be pro-life, we got to care about the unborn. That's baseline. We definitely should. We should yeah. fight for their existence. Yeah. But think about the relationships we have. Are there people that we've cut off? Hmm. Are there people that we don't like anymore hmm. or we hate or we, hmm. oh, I'm not going to talk to that person? You know, how does that play into our our um, pro-dignity of human, of human life? Yeah. Um, but then beyond that, caring for people should definitely be, and I would say this, the church has always cared for the least of these. Hmm. Now, can we do better? Certainly. Sure. Should we do better? Yeah, definitely. Um, but um, I don't, like you said, I don't know anyone who is pro-life 
and says, oh, yeah, well, we shouldn't be caring for the least of these in this world. Right. You know, my um, responsibility stops there. Right. My, my compassion stops there. Right. It's like it, this is. Yeah. 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 Now, I, I would say this. I think everyone has. It, it's like it's like going to the American Heart Association and say, you know what? You guys don't care about cancer patients, do huh. you? Huh. Yeah, I can't believe you. You don't care about humanity. Hmm. You just care about people that have heart issues. Hmm. You don't care about cancer. Huh. Well, of course, of course we wouldn't. So, so why are you know we going to be allowing other people to say to us that we only care about the the preborn, mm-hmm. right? Um, right. So, um, but but moving on from that, I yeah. think um, there's so many things the church can do to care even beyond. Well, first off, for women who find themselves in a, in a surprise or unwanted pregnancy, hmm. that is that has got to be top tier hmm. for us as believers. Yeah. To come yeah. alongside of them, to say, yeah. listen, uh, abortion is not your only choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, that's good. And do you know the, the beautiful thing that's happening inside of you? Hmm. Um, maybe this pregnancy came about in a way that you didn't want it to, or didn't think it would. And here you are. Um, but you know, uh, this is a, this is a beautiful thing. Um, don't just snuff out this, this life Hmm. and then giving support and helping them to be brave and pregnancy care centers do that. Hmm. And we can play a role in helping them and supporting them and, you know, um, funding them and also, um, being volunteers, Hmm. uh, for pregnancy care centers. There's also an organization called embrace grace, Hmm. Um, that works primarily with churches and they have these women's groups that, that works with um, local women who find themselves in these uh, predicaments Hmm. and they come alongside of them. They throw them baby showers. Hmm. They encourage them. Hmm. A lot of these women who choose abortion feel like they have no support. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They they feel like they can't do it. Yeah. They can't financially do it. Yeah. They're scared of what's going to happen to their lives. And that's a real fear, a real isolation, a real discouragement. It yeah, is. It is. Absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they need community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's. Yeah. A, I mean, listen, the church is all about community, mm-hmm. right? God God has created the church, you know, so that we don't live in isolation yeah. because that's not safe for us. Yeah. But to come alongside mm-hmm. and to commune, much like the Trinity, to commune with one another. Yeah. And these women need community. Yeah. That's good. That's That even... You know, there's a couple things that come to mind as you're saying that too, Kurt. It goes back to the holistic approach to discipleship that we want to pursue with people in our church to have, first and foremost, a, an understanding of the beauty and the goodness of God's design where there is a husband and a wife in a mm-hmm. marriage that welcomes children into that home. Um, there's such a, a richness to that and the idea that they're, that they're, their children are not fatherless because they have a father and a mother in that mm-hmm. regard. Even one of the, you know, a, a huge statistic is, um, I think you may have mentioned it was close to 90% of women considering abortion don't have a a father of that child like present and engaged and willing to be supportive in that moment. It's like an overwhelmingly majority of the women considering abortion. Is that is that right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, um, 90% of women that choose abortion are unmarried. Okay. That's what it and, is. Okay. And I think, and this is another piece as well. Uh, and pregnancy care centers have been doing a lot of this, men's ministries. Hmm. Yep. So you talk about fatherlessness. What if we could grab that father of that baby yeah. and say, hey, you know what? This is a, a beautiful gift. Yeah. 
that God has given you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, the, 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 the woman is carrying the child and yeah. is going to, you know, you know, um, bring it to, uh, to birth. Yeah. But you play a role in this, you mm-hmm. know, don't just walk away and throw your hands up and say, Hey, not my responsibility. Yeah. And furthermore, most of the women who uh, decide to go full term with their children, it's mainly if the father mm-hmm. of that child says, I'm here to support you. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to financially help you. I'm going yeah. to be involved. Uh, even if they don't continue their relationship. Yeah. That plays a huge role in that decision yeah. of that woman going through with, uh, yeah. with the pregnancy. Yeah. Which that's incredible. I think even speaks to the need for us as a community that we want to be as a church and even specifically Liberty Church locally to be a community also that that welcomes in truly people that are coming from situations that we would we would maybe be inclined to if we're thinking more moralistically or self-righteously we'd be more inclined to kind of steer away from we're like oh well that has a and of course in our in our day there's less of a stigma for a single parent to have kids or to, to for someone to for a woman to be pregnant when not married than there were we had uh, a woman from our church on our podcast several weeks ago sharing her own story about how she faced an unplanned pregnancy many years ago in the sixties and that there was there, the stigma around it. Oh my God. Was yeah. Super high. Yeah. And so like, yeah. there really wasn't still a, is. a welcome embrace for her in a church community. She was actually, she shared, she was sent to what would the, what did they call it? Home for uh, wayward, troubled wayward, wayward girls, wayward girls. Yeah. So the, so in that mm. case, the, the church is, is heaping shame upon yeah, sure. And, and yeah. really the difference that the gospel makes, and this is, this is true in so many regards, but, but specifically here, there's an invitation to, whether it's the, the mother facing an unplanned pregnancy, the father, and even if they're not going to continue their relationship, there's an opportunity through the gospel to, to acknowledge the mistake, the sin, to receive grace and forgiveness, and then to be able to make, to make the right kind of choices from mm-hmm. a, from a place of real, of, of freedom from shame, That's where right. it seems like so much of the spiral is like, I'm, sh- I'm, I'm already feeling something of guilt and shame. I have a, I still am an image bearer of mm-hmm. God. I still have a conscience in me that's, that's doing something there. But I feel so stuck that I have to kind of rescue myself from the situation I'm in. And the, and the only way to rescue myself is to pursue an abortion. In yeah. Many yeah. Cases. And it's like, actually, can we invite you to to receive all the grace that is held out to you in Christ yeah. where you are and to be able to make free from shame choices going forward and not and know that there's there's a savior who rescues you. You don't have to rescue yourself. Yeah. That's Matt. That's a great point, because I, I think that's actually an issue in the church even today. Yeah. Um, where abortion is alive and well within the yeah, church community, it is, it unfortunately. Yeah. And I think it is that stigma, you know, um, listen, as churches, as pastors, as leaders, as Christians, we should be talking about morality. Hmm. We should be talking about righteousness. There's no doubt. Yeah. Uh, we, we want people to walk in sexual purity hmm. in, in this world. However, how many times do we forget to apply the gospel hmm. when someone falls? Yeah, sure. That's yep. right. Right? That's I mean, right. much like all of us. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I think um, the stigma is so heavy, hmm. especially when it comes to those that get pregnant out of wedlock. Hmm. And um, many of these women are just so discouraged by that, hmm. you know, and uh, the way that the church handles it, hmm. unfortunately, and maybe haven't done it well, haven't applied the gospel in the ways they should. Uh, that drives some of these uh, women to uh, consider uh, abortion, yeah. Yeah. and it shouldn't. And it shouldn't be that way. It really shouldn't. We we should be loving them, you know, the the way that Christ loved the woman at the well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, who good. was caught in all kinds of adultery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Living a, a sinful lifestyle, yeah. um, 
and offering himself, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and we should be doing the same. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, you'd mentioned this, Kurt, maybe just as a last question too. anything else that comes to mind that um, this past year was a big one for Sanctity of Life Sunday with the Dobbs decision back in June overturning Roe v. Wade. Um, we were talking a little bit before we, we hit record this morning that in the months since, if anything, it's shown us, and you mentioned this, how much work there still remains to do in our hearts and minds yeah. that there's been uh, in different states since then some some pretty big hits to protection for the unborn. Yeah. Um, Michigan comes to mind in particular there. But um, what impact have you seen in that in Pennsylvania? And, and what does continuing to advocate for unborn lives look like in <clears throat> Pennsylvania specifically maybe? this side of, of Dobbs. Yeah. The Dobbs decision, um, was actually, uh, I mean, certainly a gift from God, mm-hmm. you know, that I don't think many of us saw coming or expected, but we were hoping yeah. at some point we would overturn yeah. this horrible decision. Um, and, and here we are. And so the question is, what are we as a country going to do with this gift that God has given us? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. It's almost like the story of the talents, right? Are we going to just bury it in the ground mm. or are mm. we going to use this gift, this mm. talent that we've been given mm. uh, here in our world? You know, it's still, it's, it's interesting because people are still confused by the overturn of Roe v. Wade, right? With the Dobbs case. And I've heard people say to me like, well, you know, why are you still marching? Why are you still doing all this stuff? Isn't, yeah. isn't abortion now illegal? Yeah. And it's like, no, no, you don't yeah. really understand. It's just not saying that abortion is a constitutional right yeah. in our in our country. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, some states have codified it in their own right. state constitutions. You know, yeah. uh, New York did it. California mm-hmm. did it. A number mm-hmm. of other states. Um, here in PA... Um, we uh we we have what we call the the abortion control act hmm. um and so you can have it's legal for you to get to an, get an abortion in this state up to 6 months of pregnancy okay that's a, is that 24 weeks that's the same number okay cuz that was right. it is. maybe yesterday i like to yeah. use yeah. 6 okay. months because yeah. 6 months is like Whoa, like a long time 24 here. weeks wow. like i don't yeah. know i i know women love you know when they talk about kids and how many weeks that doesn't look fly. Like I get confused on how many weeks that is and months because I'm not good at math. But six months is like, oh my goodness, I can picture a woman sure. six months yep. pregnant, yep. and you're like, wow, like you are with child, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um. So yeah, so up to six months yeah. of pregnancy, you can have yeah. uh, an abortion. Sadly, uh, here in, and so I think we still have work to certainly do. I yeah. I would love to, you know, I would love to just be able to make abortion illegal here in this state. Sure. Um, it's a little tough to do in, in right. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is a, a, a mixture. Uh, we're more we're considered what you will, a purple state. Sure. Um, and uh, so we have to keep working at it. I would love to see, you know, that six months brought back that, you know, maybe yeah. to 20 weeks and keep going back mm-hmm. like they did in Mississippi <clears throat> yeah. uh, to kind of hamper some of our abortion uh, laws in this state. Um, there's a number of different things that, that, that we can certainly do. Yeah. So, um, if anything, um, the overturn of Roe v. Wade has given us greater possibilities in mm. this country. Mm. Uh, it goes back to the states. The yeah. states now have the power to decide yep. what they yeah. want. And so, um, that's, you know, that's one of the good things. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. 
That's really helpful, Kurt. You also mentioned uh, Pen- Pennsylvania has been doing its own March for Life here in Harrisburg, yeah. and it's in the fall. It's usually September. Yeah. Is that is that true again for this year coming up? It is. So so this year is going to be in October, October the 16th. Okay, mid-October. Yeah, is going okay. to be uh, our state march, um, which again, the state march is, uh, I'm not saying the national march isn't important. It was, and um, and we had a huge turnout this year. Hmm. Um, but, you know, making making our voices heard to our state legislature. Yeah. To say, listen, Pennsylvanians care about life. Yeah, you know, show up in droves to say, listen, yeah. we we want you to know that we want you as our leaders to uh, protect life. Yeah, uh, here in the state. That's good. Yeah. It, it it the picture that comes to mind is um, when when prematurely um, President Bush W Bush rolled out the mission accomplished banner on you remember that remember yeah. that moment where yeah. like he it was like we were far from, we were far yeah. from the end of that of that right. war and conflict um and so this would be the wrong moment in other words yeah. to roll out the mission accomplished banner you know Dobbs is not the mission accomplished banner it's like praise god it's a huge step but like this continue to to show up and be present in things like the march for life for Pennsylvania Pennsylvania march for life um different efforts on the ground here locally and in the conversations that we have uh, with a lot of patience and grace, but but speaking speaking truth, that was that was something that came out in, in exploring justice from Psalm eighty two yesterday. Is that nobody nobody thinks of themselves consciously on team injustice. Sure, that's right. <laughs> but yeah. so, but some people are. At the end of the yeah. day, some people are. And right. so we have to have patience and grace. But but at the end of the day, that that idea of what is actual justice comes down to truth, comes down to even what are people in the design of God. So we have to find ways to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And make that part of our of our discipleship of other Christians and our 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 mission and engagement uh, broader than that in our yeah. in our culture. You know when um, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, I got a call from a pastor, and he said this. He said um, he was like, "I'm so excited about this." He's like, "But I I can't help but think maybe we should be careful for what we wish for." He said, "Are we really ready?" <laughs> for the overturning of abortion in this country is the church ready are we ready to take these kids yeah are we ready to take foster care kids are we ready to start adopting are we ready to care for uh these these mothers Mm -hmm. Uh, and i thought that was a great question that's That's a very good question like are are we prepared are we ready yeah and uh so we have to start thinking through and that's why i'm so happy you guys are on the point of this and thinking through these things you know what what can we do? You know, I think mm. foster care is one area that we can play a significant role in mm. uh, here in our state. You know, um, there's about fifteen to twenty thousand kids that are in our foster care system. Yeah. Now, some of those kids are in this holding pattern, if you will, because the state really wants to get them reunified with their families mm. or next of kin or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so, not all the kids in our foster care system are actually qualified for adoption. Um, But there are a number of kids who fall under that qualification for Mm. adoption. Mm. Um, And especially some of the older kids, you know, the over the over 13, those Mm. kids, um, it's harder for them to get adoption or get adopted um, because many families are looking for the the younger kids. Um, And so um, we want to be, we want to be raising our hands as a church and saying, we'll take that kid. Yeah. We'll take that kid. Yeah. We want that kid. Yeah. Please give us that kid. Like that's, that's what we need to be doing as a faith community. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. 
Kurt, that's really helpful. Thank you so much for, for just continuing to walk us through this, giving us good insights and ways we can be pursuing this. And yeah, continue to be grateful for you, for the Church Ambassador Network, for the PA Family Institute, yeah, the work you guys are doing. So. so yeah, thanks for taking time out of your, your week. Yeah, you're welcome. Hang out with us. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast. If you have questions on any you heard today, things Kurt was talking about, please let myself know, let Matt know. If we need to direct you and connect you to Kurt, we can certainly do that. And the resources at the foundation, uh, super grateful that you were able to listen alongside and hear about the great work that they're doing. And we will look forward to seeing you next week for worship. We're actually going to stick around right now. Matt and I are going to answer a couple questions that came in related to yesterday's sermon. Um, but otherwise, enjoy the, week, the rest of the week, everyone, and we will see you again soon. All right, Matt, we're back on the B-side, and we have a couple questions to get into from yesterday's sermon. Mm. Give us, before we get to the questions, the 60-second summary, being cognizant of time, of last... I'm down from 90. I was going to say last week's. It was yesterday. feels like a long time ago. Yesterday's sermon, uh, which you delivered. Yeah, so justice for the fatherless. We talked about mercy for the fatherless the week before. This was justice for the fatherless. Two points. Uh, Psalm 82, the God of justice, that's the bookend of the psalm that Asaph writes, praise, uh, prophetic hymn, as it's been termed by one at least one scholar. Uh, God is the God of justice, so it starts with him taking his seat in the divine council. It ends with him inheriting the nations. It's kind of the bookend of, of God being God and really the ultimate one that can meet out or even define what justice is. In between there... Second point, the injustice of the gods, lowercase g. Yep. Some debate about who that, who, who those gods are. That's a whole interesting thread to follow in Psalm 82. But for our purposes, uh, short summary conclusion. Um, it's the, it's the people of God. It's Israel and specifically their rulers. And they are committing injustice against vulnerable groups of people in their midst. And so the compare and contrast between the God of justice, the injustice of the gods, the human rulers. Uh, but in the, in rebuking, the injustice of the human rulers, there's these, there's probably more than this we could have teased out, but I, I, pu- I pulled out four different specifics of what does justice for the fatherless look like. Applications could have gone much broader than just the fatherless, but we kind of teased those out specifically uh, and talked about that yesterday. So we can get into any of those if that's helpful, but we got a lot of questions, so I thought yeah. we'd just go right to that. Let's jump into them. So yesterday, one of the things that you talked about was the... Um, the proclivity for people to create justice as opposed to maintaining or restoring the justice of God. So the first question is along those lines. Great. The questioner asks, I'm thinking about the difference between creating justice and maintaining justice. Uh, is it as simple as measuring what you do against Scripture? So if you're in line with Scripture, you must be maintaining justice. And if you're not, you're actually creating justice. So help us know when are we creating justice in a, in a way that's unhelpful and wrong as opposed to maintaining or restoring justice that God has already made clear. Yeah, that's really that's really good. And even this person said kind of I put simple in quotes because we can deceive ourselves about like yeah. how how to discern what scripture is teaching there or even that we we always try to read our own pre-existing view into scripture. No shortage of examples in history of how we've used scripture within the church globally sure. throughout history yeah. to yep. conduct, you know, horrific causes. Yeah. I mean, it was used to promote slavery. It right. was also used to abolish slavery, but right. which well, somebody's wrong. Right. So the, the simples and quotes there, because it's yeah. really actually not all that simple right. to just go, well, well, scripture says it must be, yeah, it must be in line with what God says. Yeah. The, how do we do it then? Um, so the, the, that distinction there, and that in, in Psalm 82, the key word is maintain. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. The idea being that in the design of God, they already have the rights that they need. Like yeah. we don't have to create 
something new. And, and this is the sad reality and what history bears out is that when we try to create justice, when we, tr- specifically in the sense that when we try, when we think we can create a more just society, we, we have a better design than God for the world and the civilizations and the societies of the world, we actually end up perpetrating injustice really quickly. And so, uh, so yes to this, to this person's question, I, th- I think it is measuring what you do against scripture, against truth. I think it also is really getting deeply into our hearts and minds a God-centered view of the world. Yeah. Uh, that 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 we do not we are not left to ourselves to determine um, what rights people should have in the design of God. And when we try to go beyond that, we try to create more rights beyond that. That's when we end up creating injustice in another direction. Right. So I think Scripture is the right <clears throat> measure for that. It is complicated sometimes to, to, to discern exactly and specifically in the regards of like, what are the Old Testament commands and law still apply in the same specific way to the New Testament, to the, you know, in the New Covenant, to the church? Um, that gets really complicated yeah. in some cases. Ceremonial law versus civil law versus yep. uh, moral law. Like we can kind of get in, like that's a whole other topic to, to flesh out there. But um, I think the main, the main posture in this too, beyond beyond just kind of parsing out what scripture says is, do you have a posture that says God has actually designed a completely just society? Mm-hmm. We follow him. I'm right. humble to find what his is, right. not to try to feel like I can create my own better than his. Right. That posture makes a, all the difference in the world. I think so. And yesterday, your a point you made in your sermon was not, I don't think, meant to be a political statement as much as just a reflection of what happened 50 years ago. Right. Um, people, government officials yes. in the Senate, Supreme Court, tried to enact justice by, by creating a right yep. to end life. Yep. And it's a it's a it's just a really clear example of going against the the, ju- the justice that God has created in, yep. in His uh, created order. That's right, right. And so again, that's a good example because, of that. Because vulnerable women mm-hmm. facing unplanned, unexpected pregnancies do have rights too. Right, they're protected by God. <laughs> they're they're loved by that's God, right. cared for by God. They have rights too. Just so does their unborn life. Yep. And in creating in the in the Roe v. Wade decision, in creating the right to abortion at any point in time for any reason across our nation, that's that creates this injustice in another direction. Yep. It's good. Let's go to the next question. Yep. So this person asks, uh, the sermon focused on justice. The act of killing an innocent image bearer uh, would call for the Romans one type of justice. You mentioned that yesterday. Yeah. As compared to Genesis 1 versus Roman 1. So Romans 1 type of justice, the punishment for evil. The sermon also made the point of loving and comforting the woman or the man uh, who plays a role in choosing to end the life of their child through abortion. At first glance, it appears that these two ideas, the calling for justice against evil and the loving and not shaming of those who have chosen to do evil, seem to directly contradict each other. Can you explain how they both can be true? Yeah, and I, I can appreciate how they do seem to be contradictory. I think that's again a reason that I that Asaph goes back to, and I and I went back to yesterday. The, the just the desperate need we have for God to be God. Human beings are due both dignity and damnation. <laughs> um, we both are in the image of God, created in His image, and we're also Romans one, you know, subject to His wrath because of the ways we <clears throat> we suppress the truth and um, and rebel, you know, against Him. So, um, I do think we hold people accountable two decisions that they make that are in conflict with the design of God and the justice of God. Um, 
this kind of can open up a whole realm of other topics too. Like, is the death penalty? Yep, sure. Is the death penalty a just penalty? Um, should we be enacting the death penalty, or should we be showing mercy exclusively? Um, I think I think where my mind goes when it comes to the sanctity of human life and unborn life in particular, because there are laws in our country that enable people to end the, their their babies' lives, you know, before they are born. Um, I'm not looking at that moment to turn around and punish women or couples facing unplanned pregnancy if they choose to end their life. I'm saying I, I really want that to become not only illegal, but unthinkable as we talked about with Kurt a little while ago, Yeah. but I'm wanting that to, so I am wanting that to happen in the meantime, I'm not wanting to punish women for that decision. I'm wanting to say that was wrong and you should pursue repentance and mm-hmm. receive forgiveness that is held out to you and Jesus through that. Um, but that you should receive mercy and grace for you in that in that place, yeah. And recognizing that they've been lied to so much <clears> that they, I think, you know, see, I didn't get to talk about this yesterday. I, I think in so many ways, women who are pressured into abortion, even from the cultural narratives that exist out there, are are pawns of this broader societal moment that we are in, mm. where it's like we just we just culturally sacrifice unborn life and children on the altar of personal autonomy. And, and, and I think there's, so I think there's a lot of reason to say, let's fight against those, those demonic influences and the lies that exist in our culture and the, the wicked, the people that oppose God that are perpetrating them. But let's show a lot of grace and compassion to the women that are caught up in that. Now there, yeah. now there might be some women that, um, that really do buy into the shout your abortion stuff that really do buy into the, um, hey, unapologetically, I'm, I'm just, I, I have no, my conscience is so non-existent or seared on this matter that I'm all in on that. Yeah. And maybe in some cases down the road, like maybe there's something to explore in that of like, hey, you, if this really is murder, ending unborn life, and you're doubling down on that, but a lot of like the statistics are the vast majority of women that do go through with an abortion experience a ton of shame, guilt, remorse. There's something still intact in the image of God in them. That Dick says that was that was not the right thing to do. Yep. I, I did something I should not have done, and that's where I'm like. Then that's the moment for us to come in yeah. with all kinds of mercy and compassion and grace, yeah. and say there is grace for you. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Well said. Next question, uh, same questioner. Christianity holds that life begins at conception, and the life of an of the of an unborn, helpless child has the same value in God's eyes as any other human being outside the womb. However, we tend to view a person who chooses to have their unborn child killed differently than we would if they did the same thing after the child was born. Should we react to those two scenarios differently? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would even say first, um, <clears throat> biology holds that life begins at conception. I mean, Christ- Christianity certainly does yeah, we, too. Christianity just aligns with reality. I think that's right. And I think that's important because it, this is where our culture has gone insane on this on this particular point. Others too. But this particular point is that like, we, we talk about, even when it comes to childs, to, to, to unborn children, childbirth, the miracle of life, the amazing stuff that has to come together for a new life to form in the womb. And we talk about how life begins at conception, like for, yeah. even more specifically, fertilization. Because in some circles, people are trying to move the, the goalposts of the definition of the word conception to say conception only counts when like uh, uh, an embryo is fully embedded in a woman's uterus and therefore is like viable, you know, sure. or like a certain viability point. It's like we're saying fertilization but like everyone biologically thinks that until it's an unwanted yeah so they don't want the child pregnancy that's right and even to the point to say like if you if a woman is pregnant and you hit her with your car you will get charged with manslaughter for that 
for the unborn life. Mm -hmm. But if that woman doesn't want the baby, nothing. Like you end the life the same way at the same stage. It's manslaughter on the one hand. It's a biologic. It's it's like a medical procedure on the other. It's like going sure. to the doctor and getting a shot on the other. It's like, um, so I think our I think our culture's nuts on that. So I, I I do think we should react to these two scenarios the same in that sense that we should see yeah. all life as having the value that it has. Because yeah. I think when you start to we're already seeing that play out. I mean, gosh, and this wasn't you know didn't have time for it and other things too, but you know, person in our church was party to was, was had a front row seat to, um, in recent history, a, a couple that had a baby born prematurely that was alive and probably would have made it if they received medical care. Yeah. And those parents said to the medical providers, do not provide medical care for this baby. Yeah. And the baby died. Yeah. And what is that? That's murder. I mean, that is neglect. That's, that is like, yeah. If you did that to a child that was a little bit older than that kid in our state, even yeah. you would be brought before the the judges, the, the the juries of our state and held accountable for that action. Yeah. And they're not simply because that child needed more intervention to stay physically alive, more machines at that point that were very possible and very much present in that moment, but sure. were neglected were withheld from them. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, I think we've gone nuts in that, in that yeah. regard. Now I'm glad that people still see for the most part that, um, that babies, the children outside of the womb have value. I'm really glad that we haven't completely lost our bearings on that, but mm -hmm. even that is starting to erode. Yeah. And even the, yeah. the line between infanticide and abortion is like blurring it's very blurring rapidly. rapidly. It did, it did yeah. in that case yep. that I just described there from that's our right. own person here. Yeah. Um, and it's blurring all the time in like, in medicine when it comes to like right to die movements and like in, seeing that in Canada in particular right now, things like that, where right. if you have what's termed a terminal illness, or even in some cases, if you have like a mental health, like you're so depressed that you just don't want to live anymore. Sure. There's certain exceptions being created. That the, a physician can help you end your life at that point. It's like what the lines are already disappearing at, at alarming rate. Yeah. And I think it's really, I think this question is a good reminder to all of us as Christians. Um, just the, Christian holds a life. Begins a conception. No, reality does. Christianity aligns with it. I know sure. the questioner means by this. It's a good sure. question. It's right? a great question. The reality establishes this. God establishes it. We align with it. That's always our job as Christians to align with God's truth mm -hmm. because um, I'd say, sadly, I think our culture and the world does view these things as different. Yeah. And, and some of the reason why it's viewed as different is because of the language that we use and the laws that we've created. Mm -hmm. And so when we start thinking about something like trimesters yeah. um, and how that was really used politically in the huh. Roe versus Wade decision, huh. um, just, I mean, contriving something known as trimesters sure. to present that as if there's a difference between sure. 12, the 12th week or the 13th week. Yeah. Or the 26th week and the 27th week. It makes no sense. Right. Right. And so there's a way in which legislation matters. The language we use matters. And as Christians, we need to be really aware of the messages that are being given to us. Mm -hmm. Many of them from the world are being used to persuade Christians away from truth. Mm -hmm. And so when you, and you kind of, when you see it, it's like this emperor has no clothes moment sure. of just like, or it's like the Wizard of Oz moment of like, yeah. oh, it's just a, Oh, it's just evil yep. hiding behind these these laws that yeah. are supposed to make us think a certain way. That's right. And so, unfortunately, I do think we see these things as different. Yeah. As Christians, we shouldn't. Yeah. We should protect life um, from the moment of fertilization and conception. That's good. It's well said. So. All right. Next question. Different questioner. Uh, with the importance of being father to the fatherless, 
I feel like we should have some instruction on what being a father should look like too. Uh, yeah. Taking kids into your home is a great start, but it can't end there. Yeah, well said. Um, hopefully that's happening in the ongoing life of the, and discipleship of being part of our church family, being in Bible study groups, being in the lives relationally of other people that are seeking to be, for men, uh, faithful fathers, for women, faithful mothers. Uh, so yes and amen. It's a little bit beyond maybe the scope of what we're trying to do this month in particular. Yeah, we're narrowing in with this focus, right? Yeah, yeah. and specifically thinking about the fatherless and those that don't have fathers. But but to this person's point, um, yes, we definitely need to uh, call men to be faithful fathers, call women to be faithful mothers, and parents to be faithful parents. Yep. Absolutely. If, if there's more questions on that, ask them, right? For sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. Last question from this same questioner that we just asked the previous question from last week about leaving some margin or not taking all the harvest from your farm. What was the culture in that day regarding this? Did hmm. the fatherless widows, poor sojourners know to just go take food from the fields? Uh, did the landowner have to give them prior permission? Uh, maybe the church had a list of places they could direct people to. Like, how did that work? Man, that's a great question. I don't know. I wish I was more of an expert in like the ancient Near East or in the first century, because uh, it, you know, th- these laws kind of applied all the way through there. Um, you do see some famous examples of uh, like Jesus and his disciples walking through the fields and taking yeah. grain and eating it and getting rebuked for doing that on That's the right. Sabbath. On so Sabbath, like it was, yeah. it was still happening in the first century. Right. With Jesus and his and they disciples. They were rebuked for doing it on the Sabbath, not That's, for doing it. That's true. Right? That's so a it was great just point. like there's something there that was allowed. Yeah. Right. But the Sabbath was the issue. That's right. Yeah. Good call. So uh, I think at least among the people of Israel, it was a known thing. That that was a, that that was left for vulnerable populations. That was even um, one of the one of the cultural differences and divides between that that world and our world is that like even if you are someone in 21st century Central Pennsylvania who owns a field, and you were just to like not harvest all the way to the edge of your field and leave the last row and not go over it with your with your John Deere or your whatever other large farm equipment. <laughs> You hang out in Lancaster more than I do, Steve. You got no. You got, don't you got don't some, put me on the spot. <laughs> don't try to pass the ball to me on that. No, thank you. We have plenty of other people in the church that we should be calling. I on don't this. want to give preferential treatment to, to John Deere, New I, Holland, uh, Kubota. Who I know we like, wear flannels, but we're not the people who should be talking about this. No, okay, we shouldn't. Right. We shouldn't. But it's not a thing in our cultural moment to show up at a farmer's field and just right. expect there's like That's there's right. stuff for you here to glean. Right. I think there was that at least among the Israelites in the ancient Near East and all sure. the way into the first century. I mean, the story of Ruth is coming to mind yep. for me, right? It's allowed yep. kind of, he, he instructs his workers to withhold picking to keep for her. And Ruth was yep. one of many That's right. uh, that were gleaning. She was not the only one in Boaz's field that was right. gleaning. So it wasn't known thing. When it fast forwards to this question, this person asked mm. if like the church kept a list of places um, maybe, I mean, when you say the church, maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading too much into this question, but I'm fast forwarding now into the first century when they're, when the church exists and it's not the people of Israel anymore. And I think then of like Acts six and the deacons and the yep. daily distribution of food. So at that point it wasn't sending the widows out into the fields to glean for themselves, right? but someone was collecting food that came yeah, from creating an institution for the delivery and yeah. the, and then creating this office in the church called deacon, yep. ultimately eventually called deacon that that distributed the food to them. Right. So I, there was, it was changing even then yep. between the ancient Near East and the first century. But I, the, the mechanics of how exactly that worked, that's a great, yep. great question. I've not really explored. 
Good question. That's our best way of answering it by not answering it and taking two minutes to do so. So thanks for asking that question. Um, maybe we'll circle back to that and give you more detail as we find it. Yep. So, all right, those are the questions. Uh, Matt, thanks for answering those and engaging that conversation. Thank you for those that submitted questions. Thank yeah. you to those that stuck around the entire way to yes. the end of the B-Side podcast. Long episodes in January. Long episodes in January. Enjoy the rest of the week. We will see you at Sunday uh, for worship next week. Yep. Bye, thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources and information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.